What's up, everybody? John here. Just want to give a real quick introduction to this uh, Instagram Live episode that you're about to hear. Uh, the guest is Telly Smith. Uh, we recorded this on 629.20 and uh, was one of the more recent episodes we've done over on the Instagram Lives that we have been doing over on, as you guessed, Instagram. Um, if you haven't checked these out, the video versions are up over on Instagram under our IGTV section. And I'm currently in the process of getting this put up onto YouTube as well. So pretty much there is no excuse for you to not have heard or seen this. Um, these Instagram live things have been a lot of fun, as you've been hearing us talk about. Uh, they're completely unscripted. I don't write anything down. Uh, it's pretty much just a freeform conversation. Uh, so it's a lot more looser than the actual podcast typically are. We just like to try to bring more content to you. So if you aren't able to sit down and spend the hour to watch these on Instagram or YouTube, here is a format that is a little bit easier for you to digest. All of that said... I want to thank Telly again for coming on and chatting. Uh, we had a couple of mix-ups, as you'll kind of hear me joke right in the beginning. So without further ado, let's get into my conversation from a couple weeks ago with Telly Smith of The Word Alive. And we'll see you on Sunday for our episode with Chris Garza of Suicide Silence. Talk to you then. No car problem time. No. A <clears throat> $1,000 later. Uh, dude, cars are like the best and the worst thing. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm trying to like prop this. Up. I have this like stand thing, but um, yeah, I mean they're like the best and worst thing. I I need it, but I hate having to deal with it. Absolutely. So, uh, how have you been this past week? What what fun things other than car issues have you been to? Um, not too much um had like a pretty relaxing weekend um basically just played basketball i think yesterday yeah sunday morning with our old bass player and just like hung out with him for a bit and then cooked and relaxed at the house i haven't haven't done really anything this weekend and obviously the last week was kind of stressful and shitty but uh (laughs) overall just you know chilling and uh trying to be productive as much as one can yeah no i hear that you mess around and get a triple double um well we played one-on-one so i i would say i definitely had a double double uh (laughs) but um i guess if you count the times where i missed and got my own rebound that can count as an assist so i probably probably came close no, I, uh, it was funny, actually, as you were, as we were getting ready to do this, I saw that J.R. Smith, I guess, is getting picked up by the Lakers. Yep. I, I feel like it was inevitable. Um, you know, he's, he's been waiting for LeBron probably to just hit him up and be like, all right, let's go, bro. Dude, I, I have such a love-hate with him. Even in, like, 2K, I always grab uh, J.R. Smith because, like, if he's on, holy yeah. shit the best ever to have him on your team but when that motherfucker goes old jesus it's like he's in the fucking arctic man i do him, him and jamal crawford have always been like that where it's just if it's hot it's really hot and if it's cold it's can't make anything dude my my three off the bench just because i was playing the law of averages with it was kyle corver jr smith right figured at some I mean, point is there one of them three light it up, but if you get two or three of them all going, ooh, that's like a death line. Oh, yeah. Yeah, some of the greatest shooters of all time. Do you play too much 2K, or like, are you much video games? Uh, I'm more of a Madden guy. I play a lot of Madden. Um, I mean, I do play 2K from time to time, but um, I haven't got into i like the franchise mode like and in video games or sports games i guess and um so madden just uh it's there's just more players and more that you have to do to like maintain a team so uh and i'm a i would say like as far as like playing games i like football more if it's in person like i play basketball all the time so i love basketball but um 2K is definitely on the the B side of my video game playing. Right now, I'm pretty much only playing Madden, uh, Call of Duty, and um, that's it. 
that's that's literally it. Yeah, I have Last of Us too, but I haven't dipped into it because I've been all house and last. So the Last of Us is actually my favorite video game of all time. Um, yeah. It's at least favorite storyline of all time, and uh, so I, I'm waiting until I can really dive into that to uh, to play it, but not yet. Yeah, I. That was going to be what I. I just got hit with a lot of amazing opportunities of people with podcasts. Jesse from Misery Signals and Jesse from Killswitch as of today. And uh, those were two hour long. Bullshit. It was happy to talk to people that I've talked to. You were cutting out for a second. Is it. Um, do, do I look clear and can you hear me fine on, on your end? I can I can see that you said I can hear you fine, but I couldn't hear you. I don't know. So should be good still. Hey, man. I heard I I heard you that I heard I hear you now. You you look uh like um very pigmented um pixelated on, on pixelated yeah okay. on my screen. But um, Jesse from Killswitch is awesome. I did hear that much. Um, he's a great dude. Uh, we've had some really amazing talks on tour and um, played a lot of shows. So, he, he, I mean, he's just a very great guy. Very, uh, like, well-intentioned, um, deeply feeling human being. So he he's one of my favorites that I've toured with. So I was thinking, as of when we were going to do this last week, you were, I think, the second to last person at a show. And I think you guys wrapped up that tour within a week or so after our show? Um, March 3rd ended up being the last date of the tour. Uh, March 4th was supposed to be the last show. Ended up getting canceled. Um, pretty much half of the Falling Universe camp was sick including their drummer who had food poisoning actually so he couldn't play and it was just like the last day so they they called it and uh we went we went home from there so march 3rd was our last one i i'm not sure when the date of ours was so i don't know like when i'm on tour like i i know that we played and i remember um talking but i have no recollection of like where in the tour that that date was see the hard part for me that i was trying to but it seemed like, and I'm sort of in the same thing that you're in, where it's like I'm, I went to that show, but then I had so much other like podcasting shit to do, interviews to prepare for, that even I forget how long it was in either direction. But I feel like it was like a week, week and a half later, not even that your uh, trailer got killed. Yeah, that it was the night before the last show. It, so technically it happened the night after the last show um, on March 3rd into the early hours of March 4th. And we were at a Airbnb um, and we were like in a nice part of Sacramento. We thought, you know, we would be safer there. And um, I can't remember. It might've been Zach went out and was going to just grab his backpack or something and notice a bunch of glass and, uh, and a huge portion of the window of our sprinter. And since it was the end of the tour, uh, we had so much stuff that would never have been in there. Like we're really smart on tour. We try to take care of everything we can. And, uh, but it was because we were going to be going home. We, ha we put a bunch of stuff in cause we're like, Oh, we don't want to load it in the morning. And so we were like, everyone's getting ready to take their individual stuff home and they got us for about $10,000 worth of stuff and damage. And we were in like a weird gray area with the rental with some of the, the property. And so our renters insurance uh, didn't cover anything. Um, and we were in, in the middle of seeking a new policy, which right now is on pause because who knows when we're going to tour again right now. But, um, but it was literally like if we would have just made it through that, we would have been totally fine. And um, so it's very frustrating. And obviously it sucks to have had, um, you know, 
all that stuff stolen. Some of it was irreplaceable. Um, you know, a lot of it was personal things. Um, but some of it were things that ultimately, you know, as much as it sucks to have stolen, it, it, it doesn't matter, you know, whether it's like clothes or jewelry or things like that. So it's just unfortunate because uh, this is the third time we've been robbed in uh, three years. And we got robbed twice in one week um, where we had a bunch of gear stolen, merchandise, and they just snapped the back of the trailer like the entire like steel beam piece um was gone so i mean they like really knew what they were doing because we we had it as safe as you can have it but unfortunately um musicians are a huge target on tour for people they know all they have to do is look on google who's coming in town they look up where maybe your socials where you're staying and um a lot of people target bands and it's so shitty. Um, and, but it, it's just unfortunately part of the territory that we have to deal with. It, it's one of the things that makes touring really stressful at times is you, a lot of the cities you play are not in the best area. Like the venues are not in the best areas. So some of those times you have to have someone like watching at all times and maybe you have to pay someone extra or you have to hire extra security uh, there have been venues that the security guards are in on it. So they let people know and then trying to prove that is next to impossible. And, um, so yeah, tour touring is not always fun. Um, but when you're not getting robbed, it's, it's a lot better. I guess something I've never really thought of is, you know, I was just going to ask you, do you feel like there are rings dedicated solely to figuring out, the touring industry and who's coming where and essentially what they have. But I'm I, sure uh, there. I know that in St. Louis, um, in in Oakland, and in Montreal, there have been three that I've known of since I've toured the last 13 years um, that were very intentional, um, like groups that were targeting bands touring. It's kind of wild that you. I don't know. I always think like when they're stuff like that that's going on i'm always like would never think to do that <laughs> but you're, you're probably you're probably not a bad person <laughs> and, i think so but um you know it it's unfortunate because people targeting artists in particular it's like one they're never going to be the ones that have the most money um but we have valuable property and um i think a lot of people assume especially today that musicians are very wealthy and have all this money because they have all these expensive equipment or, you know, clothing or whatever. But it's like a lot of people, it's like they're bringing their nicest clothes for tours so they can look like a halfway decent human being on stage. Um, and then gear, a lot of it is accumulated over years and years of hard work, um, saving up to buying things. Um, uh, our guitarist, Tony, one time had a guitar stolen that was the first really really nice guitar he bought it was a gibson les paul it was very meaningful to him and um it got stolen and not not actually on tour um, which kind of made it even more heartbreaking but um you know, it's just like when people s steal from musicians, it's like pe we're, we're trying to give art so that the world can make more sense and, and be a, a more enjoyable place to navigate. And so stealing from bands, I think, is, is pretty low. Not that stealing from anyone is, is any better necessarily, but there's, there's a special place in, in hell for people who steal from musicians, that's for sure. I feel like someone I've never heard of getting from his anti-w case and maybe uh, look like an ashy bomb yourself <laughs> he he also f flies in a lot of places and uh probably has things delivered i remember we did a warp tour um i can't remember if he was on when i was in the word alive and on warp tour or if he did it when i was in greeley estates or maybe both I, who knows but uh basically he was almost never seen and he would just show up and he was wearing all white and it was just dirty. 
and it didn't matter. And, you know, his whole thing, like party hard, like he, he didn't party like at all. He had he had like one night maybe he hung out at like a barbecue or something but for the most part he doesn't hang out really and um, I but, have it on I have it on good authority I won't say who my source is that dude used to party really 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 party to the point oh, I'm of sure uh, almost having it be a huge problem uh, international forth uh to kind of catch my drift mm. and that he himself started toning it back because it was getting him into a lot of shit um i can see that i mean the early 2000s um when he was blown up i think around like 2004 2005 2006 like when he like really really blew up uh, that was before i started touring obviously but i am assuming that he had to have lived up to his um, you know, mystique and everything to a certain degree, but um, yeah, he he was pretty tame by the time I think it was two between two thousand eight and eleven um, when when we were on tour with him. I think what's you know it's funny I've been thinking a lot about Warp Tour stuff because I think I've been seeing a lot of memories band time hop myself and so forth of seeing a lot of Warp Tour memories uh, going through. And so I've really been kind of thinking about now that it's done, just thinking about like all the years that I went and like crazy things I saw and had heard, you know, like I remember going to, do not, I want to say it was, I want to say it was 06. Uh, it was an ETID year because I always pretty much won every year that ETID was on and they were almost every other year. Um, and I know the big dirty was getting out and uh, they were on a stage and I went to go see, uh, that band, um, tech band, rock band with Roddy, um, the protest the hero. I went to go see uh, Canadian boys, and uh, I went to go see them. And I think it was Forever the Sickest Kids or some some band like that. And all those dudes were doing was just bitching the whole fucking time. They're on one of those like side stages, going like not used to like playing in front of this let like this little of a crowd or this small of a stage and this that and the other and just bitching and bitching and bitching and roddy came on he's like we don't give a fuck what side of the stage we're on we don't care how big it is we don't care how many people we're playing in front of let's have some fun and just tore it up and i was like yeah <laughs> i was like it's so great that sort of bands will talk shit on other bands on the stage that they're on at least they kind of do um even thinking I mean, about thinking back to when katie perry was on it i think that same year actually 2008 I okay. was on that tour. Okay. And I remember hearing people on the tour, you know, someone be like, oh, I just had to hold Katy Perry's purse so she can go do some blow in the bathroom. <laughs> uh, I smoked weed with uh, Katy Perry in 2008. Uh, and I think it was the first time she had ever smoked weed was on Warp Tour in 2008. And sure. she, was she was dating Travi McCoy. And she was actually really sweet. She was really nice. She hung out. Uh, she probably hung out way more than he did, actually. And she, I think she was just trying to, like, embrace the community and, like, the the time. And But it was crazy. I mean, from the beginning of the tour till the end, like, it was insane. Like, watching her literally blow up before everyone's eyes was, was pretty crazy. Yeah, it was kind of weird looking back on that tour because, I mean, like, you had... Fred from, at the time, he had just left Taking Back Sunday, and I think he was going to call her Fred. Um, she yeah, was, they, were, uh, they were on the same stage as us that year. Okay, and then I remember uh, Esley Dying headlined the night in Detroit that I went to. It was their last night. Chiodos uh, randomly popped out. Craig ran into me like some tattoo I had at the time. And then, like, a few days after that, like, posted this thing on MySpace about how he's going to kill himself or whatever. Then that got taken out, and then Chiodos was basically a while after that there's just like really weird stories kind of like that that i remember from like that specific year where it was just like oh as late on was like super big and to be able to like look behind you and see basically the entire warp tour watching them it was like wow they're just like I yeah knew they had there was something like that just changed right there for that band and their trajectory on that that tour yeah they had massive crowds every day um we were all friends um and still are but they yeah that was an insane tour for them uh, I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen gnarlier like pits 
ever than Azalea dying in 2008. It was it was pretty incredible. Yeah, it was so weird. Like kind of looking back on some of those tours, I feel like that was kind of the era where, especially because I think that year Ozfest was free, so you saw a lot more of the Ozfest bands oh. pop who. Warp Tour, and I think it might have been either right before or the year after Mayhem Fest started, so you started seeing more, more cross-genres on, on Warp Tour. But I remember even back then, in 2008, like I felt like I was too old to be there as like a 22 or a 20. I was, uh, I think I just turned 21. Or I tur- no, I turned 21 the summer before. I turned 22 on Warp Tour uh in uh in 08 what are some of your memories of warp tour man i mean i feel like it's like millions <laughs> um i feel like I, I probably a lot it, it, it usually like when we're talking about stuff um someone will say something and be like oh do you remember when? and i'm like oh yeah and then it like a flood of memories come rushing back um I mean, but in general, Warp Tour is a very special thing. Like, you know, everyone refers to it as like punk rock summer camp, and it, it literally is. You make so many new friends. Uh, I have friends. So 2008 was the first uh, year that I ever went because I swore to myself that I would never go until I was playing, and w- which I did. Um, but then once I was on, like I started making friends and I have a lot of those friends still to this day and I will for the rest of my life. Um, you know, there's something to be said about those days of Warp Tour in particular. Like I think the the friendships that we all built, you know, were very real and there wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, every man for himself mentality. There's my boy Dan Doby in there. Um, I, I will quickly shout out him, side note. Uh, go to Dan Doby's page after this. He has a short film um, that is absolutely incredible. It's very beautiful and it, it has a twist that is really great. So, uh, side note: uh, amazing, uh, amazing guy, director, writer. He, he just does it all. So, uh, check that out uh, after. But Warp Tour um, is really a place where I think it made or or broke a lot of bands and it made a lot of the bands in our scene. Um, you know, from a day to remember, um, bands like Chiodos, um, you know, obviously to the word alive, our friends, we came as Romans, miss may I, um, there's just like so many of us that really grew as musicians and friends as, you know, entrepreneurs within the, the music industry, I think Warp Tour taught us another level of hustling that has, you know, helped a lot of us grow and and understand that there are changes in the industry every single year and you kind of have to adapt to it. So I love it. I think one of the crazier things and was really cool from my perspective of having put on shows for like years before was seeing uh, the second to last friend uh, Frank was on it, who are managing for uh, CKY. Um, you know, we ended up getting my wife and I got one of those uh, like all access, no no uh, escort needed no thing. Escort, yeah. And you know, a lot of people, and I saw this all day. A lot of people were just kind of like taking the selfie, all this kind of shit, and it was just about you know being able to be somewhere uh, that people couldn't get to. The thing yeah. that impressed me the most about it was seeing, especially on like the the main stage, uh, or one of the main stages, I should, where it was like the uh, amphitheater. And it was cut in half for each mm-hmm. stage. See how fast they were able to tear one down, get the other band going, set up the next one, sound check, and as soon as that 25, 30 minutes was done, next band is literally ready to go. I had yeah. never, like, I was so enthralled and just fascinated by watching true professionals work uh, in such a chaotic environment. Um, and to me, that was like one of the biggest takeaways of that whole experience seeing the real pro of pros working because uh, i think that's a tour where the week it cut out and discovered real fast yeah i mean it is really hard work um all of our crew any crew of warp tour itself the stage managers the hands i mean it's fucking grueling it is not easy 
And a lot of the thing is with like the way the schedule was like, you know, a lot of bands and crew and people, you're up late and you're up early and you get like six hours or less of sleep almost every single day for and back in the day. Warp Tour is seven, seven and a half weeks long. You know, like that's that's a long time and you're outside every single day. So it takes a special kind of person. Uh, you have to will yourself to be, you know, getting up every day and what, you know, bands like us that would walk the lines before doors would open and try to get people to come see us when we were first starting, um, doing two, three, four hour long signings and things like the turnover of the stages. You know, it is a very precision based, um, you know, tour. Like if one band and their crew are slacking off, it hurts everyone. And uh, so it really teaches you responsibility and there are a lot of bands that didn't give a shit. And a lot of those bands broke up, you know, because like they weren't really respected. They weren't wanted. Um, and they, it seemed like their egos got the best of them. And a lot of those bands, you know, just aren't around. I think, uh, that was one of the good things about warp tour is it's, it wasn't really a place for ego. Although that, that did exist for the most part, you still, everyone was going to catering, you know, everyone is enduring the heat to some degree in a very similar way. Obviously there are the upper echelon bands that were having people do everything for them that didn't have that. But most likely those bands were at that point at some point and, you know, worked their way up. So it's, it's definitely a, a great tour that, I loved being on every single year. We were never that band that complained about the heat, about playing first or last or in between. It didn't matter really to us. We just, you know, we're thankful we got to play for new fans every day and uh, hopefully uh, have a good time with our friends afterwards. Yeah, it was kind of weird that last year that I went, I didn't didn't really see a whole lot of bands hanging out. Um, And it was kind of weird. Like it that the second to last year that I went, it was full of like a lot of legacy acts and then mm. kind of bands in between. It didn't have like those really heavy hitting headliners that a lot of the years before it had had. Um, I mean, I loved it because it had like Acacia Strain and Your Attila. Not that it's not really like a band that I'm in love with, but you know, great fun band to watch. Um, you know, Candiri was on it, and I remember being real stoked to see a hundredth because at that point they had just kind of changed their uh mm, they switched from being a hardcore band to like a whatever the, yeah whatever and, they are which i like way more of uh, yeah personally. yeah that was like one of the only bands we actually decided to to get on the backstage thing and check them out from the stage it was really weird because like i i really admired them for just being like we're not telling the label that we're we're not going to be what we have been the entire time of our career, and we're just yeah. putting this, which I think kind of really fucked them because they were like at least if they would have said something to somebody, they probably wouldn't have been on the two stages that were like the quote unquote heaviest bands on the tour. So yeah. it's like here, oh you got hate breed, and then it's like okay here comes some like post you know indie shoegaze kind of stuff, and it was really cool for me to see it, but it, I could just see from their perspective like people. I don't know if they even knew that they had changed their style since the last time they had seen them. And you just saw a lot of bum faces. <laughs> yeah. I mean, on that tour every day, the singer would be like, uh, raise your hand. If you thought that our band was going to sound completely different than this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously a lot of people were like raising their hand. Um, but I mean, I, yeah, I give them credit. I think it was ballsy to do that. And, um, I really like that band, so I, I give them props for uh, for just showing up. They knew what they were doing, though. You know, there was there were more people talking about hundredth um, because they played those stages, I think, than they would had they not. And I think they knew that that was going to happen. So they might not have liked it in the moment, but they definitely talked about them. And I bet you they made more fans than they lost that summer. Yeah, it was just kind of interesting. You know, you don't really see a whole lot of bands taking. I don't know if big risk is the word I want to use, but I just don't feel like you see bands taking like that on something that's kind of a feel like a short thing. Like if you're on Warped Tour and you're of a certain caliber, like that's kind of like a bread and butter tour for you. Kind of maybe set you up for something pre or post the tour. So to make come out with something so different and not really have anyone know until it's kind of like, okay, 
I'm, I don't know if I want to go see them now. Uh, I don't know how I feel about this record. I immediately loved it. I was just kind of like, how are they going to pull a lot of these textures off? Well, that's why they did it, though. They wanted that extreme you know, shift. They wanted people to be like, you're with us or against us, but you're going to be talking about them. And, you know, they could have done this huge elaborate marketing thing and like been like, you know, teasing the shift. I love that they just ripped the bandaid off. I think it's way cooler. I think they did it like the most punk rock way you can do what they did. They were just like, no, we're not that anymore. This is what we are. And if you like it, cool. If you don't, that's cool too. I just kind of wonder, you know, I was supposed to talk to Chadwick uh, a while ago and then just kind of fell through because uh, they're going to do a European run, I think. But uh, it was one of those things for me, like, where I'm like, okay, so, like, I know the label, spin this however you want. I don't know if the label dropped them. They decided they didn't want to come, but I know they're not on the label um, that they were on. So I'm almost like, did it really pay off to do it the way you did? Do you, because I, I just want to, like, ask someone who, like, took the big ball of risk like that and yeah. be like, did it actually pay off or looking back in hindsight now, do you wish you wouldn't have been so gung-ho to, to prove everyone wrong and maybe made smarter decisions along the way that could have benefited your career a little bit longer within the, the infrastructure of a label like that? You know, the what if game is a very hard game to play, especially with music and um I'm trying to think of a band that is maybe not gone as far with their sound, but I mean, a huge band, the 1975 is a good example, um, you know, right now where they can do a song like people and it's literally like a thrash punk band and then they can have like somebody else and it works. And I think what that proves is that as long as it's just genuine and authentic and it's what you really believe in and want to do, like, and not every song has to be for every person that's ever heard of your band. Um, and you don't owe anybody anything um, when it comes to creation. So for me, like when I, I had never listened to a full song probably by them until that record. And when I heard that they did that, I was like, that's sick. And I checked it out and I was like, Oh, like I like this band now. And I, I've listened to it a bunch over the years. Um, I couldn't like tell you a song title or my favorite song, but um, that's because overall, I I really do listen to like the opposite of like anything from our scene. Um, and part of that is just like I I like to have a break from it, and then the other part is I really want to try to draw any inspiration, whether it's subconscious or not from something outside of what everyone else is doing in, in our scene of music. And that could go from the lightest band to the heaviest band. Um, and, and I enjoy nostalgia. Like, you know, a lot of people, when you fall in love with a band for one record and if they shift w what you think is a lot, I mean, under oath, I guess is another great example. Under oath was like a death metal, like super heavy band and then they dropped They're Only Chasing Safety, which to a lot of those fans was a pop record, um, which it's it definitely wasn't a pop record. It was very hook-laden. It was very melodic and upbeat. And But anytime you aren't playing breakdowns and stuff all the time and screaming really low, people are just, they just call it pop. And uh, I think Under Oath, going to their only chasing safety is what like brought that into the scene. And it, it was just like, Oh, if you shift your style and you soften it all, you're just a pop band now. Right. No, I think, uh, something that I've kind of been wondering too, in light of a lot of the things that are currently happening, uh, in the scene, I guess I'll say, um, I'm wondering if a lot of the, the allegations, I'll just call them that for now, that we're seeing just spread right now, if that really was sort of what was causing Warp Tour to go down. Um, I don't think that had anything to do with it. I think it was purely financial it was decision making with what bands were playing how much money was going towards sponsorships i think you know kevin has admitted that 
if he could go back, he would have never had like the YouTubers take up a, a portion of Warped. Like, um, there are a lot of things. Ba- some bands just you know outgrew Warped, and they didn't want to do it for what would be an affordable price for Kevin to put on you know the festival. And so I think the talent pool went you know lower and lower, and he was trying to like find that diamond in the rough. Um, because I mean, ultimately, I mean, let's just be honest on that subject. It's kind of like that in any form of entertainment, you know, comedy, uh, acting, any, and part of that I think is, uh, you know, you have a lot of people who come from broken homes, uh, aren't as educated. Um, some people don't have the best examples. Some people are, a lot of people are coming from fatherless homes or abusive families or relationships so many things and they're finding their home in music and then all of a sudden maybe they have you know money and fame and they have tens of thousands of people if not millions of people um you know adoring them and putting them on this pedestal and you know then you have people who uh whether they're younger or under the influence or just caught up in the moment that you know yeah it's easy to look back um and be like whoa like some of us were ignorant or shitty or um you know we said things we shouldn't have said um but i really think for the most part it is not like there are a bunch of predators and you know sick people running around like warp tour and stuff it's it's not like that there's a handful of a couple people we were talking about out of thousands and thousands of artists um it seems bigger because i think social media puts a magnifying glass on a lot of things but definitely anything negative or controversial um and there's not really i, I can't say that i'm not for cancel culture to an, a certain extent but there's not really any education um in it and i think you know part of the problem with warp tour was a lot of people um you know are just thrown into the wolves it is a really hard tour and there is a lot of um you know you're only playing 30 minutes out of the day technically and maybe your day ends at 11:30 you know in the morning and um, so I think that tour in particular got a lot of shit, but it's um, because it was in the summertime. A lot of people weren't at work or school, college, whatever you know it may be. And you're talking about a bunch of quote-unquote rock stars that are off the clock no later than 6 p.m. And with uh, an unlimited amount of alcohol. And, well, I mean, almost every tour has a little, um, you know, drug use or what what have you um and it doesn't mean that there's a bunch of drug addicts like in the music scene either there are but no more than everyday life it's just these people have access to things that are it's just easier and i think when things are easier for people they don't really think about the consequences as much because they didn't really have to go through the effort uh, and have that feeling of like maybe i shouldn't do this because it's just there and you're no one really teaches that you know when you're growing up and everyone can say like well you should know um you know when you're 21 and you you're never had much discipline your whole life and then you're thrown into this situation where everything you see around you, you it becomes desensitized and you think certain things are normal that aren't um you know, you you can look back years later once you've grown up more and be like, man, like some of those things weren't necessarily the best situations or I wish I hadn't seen that or done that. But um, I think Warp Tour gets a bad rap. Um, at the end of the day, Kevin Lyman is one man. Um, his job is to put on a festival. It isn't to babysit or be warp, the Warp Tour dad or police, you know, for that matter. And I think that a lot of people... Um, don't give him enough credit for what he was able to build. And instead they focus on these negative stories and the negative energy that comes out. But, you know, I do think people need to be educated and learn and it's good to talk about it. And it's good that these are, these things are coming out so that we can learn from it and grow from it as a, as a, an entire community. Um, but 
I think if the first thing is just, um, you know, to try to like throw every person or everyone or every tour that's been associated with something under the bus, um, I don't think that's fair or helpful to the growth of the scene. Um, and ultimately the scene is supposed to be for those kinds of people that have, you know, a hard time that need to connect deeper with the the music that they're listening to, that these songs are written about stories that they relate to. And I think ultimately it, uh, it's, it's a necessary part for this scene to elevate from what it it's been. It's like anything in history. There's no, um, you know, civilization that like is just on top forever. You, I think the scene grew and it was this place that was standing up against a lot of things, but then because humanity as a whole, you know, there is, there are good people and there are bad people and eventually certain bad people will be in positions of power and then they have choices they can make and they're not going to make the right choice. And then once you do that and they set the standard, then it lowers, um, you know, kind of that benchmark that everyone's like trying to reach as far as you know, their character and moralistic, um, you know, balance in their life goes. So we're just in a reset mode to a certain extent where I think it's, we're taking one step backwards so that hopefully we can take five forward. Um, because let's be honest in different scenes of music, you know, hip hop, uh, rap, which we all love in my band and listen to all the time. Uh, when I grew up on it in the 90s, a lot of it was very relevant to what was happening in the world, that was very relevant to what was happening in people's communities. Um, and and now you see a lot of music videos are exclusively um, about sexualizing the opposite sex, about, um, you know, misogynistic, you know, mentalities um, that if you don't have a bunch of, you know, uh, earthly things that you're not doing well and it doesn't necessarily set the best example and um, so I think like our generation is just hitting that wall that we all need to like look in the mirror and, and, and look around and see how our scenes of music can try to grow from where they're at right now and um, I think there are artists in all genres of music that could do better um, and you know and so we all should and so hopefully we'll see growth um, from all of this. I can't imagine that it could sustain itself trying to tear apart everyone and every community and, and everything. I, I think the best approach is to educate, to try to use these examples um, so that whether you're you know, 14, 15, 16 years old coming to a show, you can come and feel safe, um, but also know the red flags to look out for. And then when we're on tour, you know, we need to do a better job. Um, those of us who are trying to make it a safe place to, to make sure we're keeping an eye out on things and promoters are keeping an eye out on things. Venue owners are keeping an eye out for things. Managers are checking in on their bands. Labels are checking in on their bands. Um, there's so much responsibility that falls on so many shoulders that to pinpoint it on any one person, band, scene, it, it, it's it's impossible. And I, I think it does more harm than good. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, last week when I was waiting for you to point in, uh, you know, the whole Ghost Inside thing was the, the big story that had broke like that day or the day before. And yeah. I'm talking my way through how I felt about it about you know I feel a sense of hypocrisy as a person who you know one person on the side of the argument basically loses everything and ever relearn he has to lose everything to learn from his mistakes that he made prior uh, however the other person involved in it who also said equal to in my opinion equally slanderous things uh, putting down another subculture of, of people yeah uh, you know, is, well, I changed. I'm not that person anymore. And it's like, well, how come you get to change in that same period of time, but this other person doesn't? And, and the only thing I kind of kept coming back to was I, as a straight white man, don't know what it's like to be gay, trans, bi, anything like that. I don't know what it's like to be a person of color. And so I can only speak on just kind of working my way through it. But 
just logically, it would seem like if you're presented with just the facts of each story, it's like, okay, I said something derogatory about a, a set of people. Mm -hmm. I did it years ago. Same thing. I've learned from that. I did too. But you don't get to say that. Oh, okay. And I don't think you really changed. And then it's like, it just felt so weird to, to watch someone basically tear someone else down and watch them lose their whole career and their profession under the guise that they, they couldn't have possibly changed who they were in that amount of time to then be the accuser basically going like, well, no, 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 I did change. And it's yeah. still going, it still doesn't negate what the other person did. And it's like, I feel like we have so much of that going on in society beyond just those two instances, but just on a lot of levels that it's like, can't, when when it's going through that, can't we kind of all step back and just kind of be like, wow, yeah, there's a little bit of hypocrisy there. And well, tear, tearing down someone to build someone up, whether it's yourself or someone else, is is almost never going to have the intended effect. Um, and in that situation, look, I mean, I've toured with the Ghost Inside. Um, I was on tour and I had just broken my back right. And I was riding on the bus with the, uh, the Devil Wars Prada um, on our tour when I woke up and everyone was in the front lounge crying. And I was like, what happened? And there were like the ghosts inside. And I was like, I just knew something horrible happened. And then, um, you know, when they told me what happened, I was so bummed. And seeing an entire community rise up, whether you were a pop music fan, hip whatever, like so many people came together to support that band and build them up. And what people don't, you know, know is uh, Jim, you know, was a huge part of that band having an opportunity to come back. He was really like the life force behind their positive energy. And, um, you know, I'm not going to say, you know, I don't know what fully he said. I, you know, I, I haven't asked him um, and I haven't seen uh, entirely. I can only assume it was something really, um, you know, ignorant that he regrets um, deeply. And, um, you know, f for me, it's the same. Like, I am a straight white male, even though I'm not, uh, you know, rich by any means. Like, it, you have to recognize uh, your privilege, you know, in this world, and I do. Um, that being said, I don't believe... Um, he is a racist and I don't believe that, um, that moment in time he was acting because he had hate for a person of color. Um, I think if, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, there are probably 90% of every tour I have done for the last 13 years, I have heard more than one white person, you know, say what would be you know considered a racist joke or um slight or you know whatever what have you some people are just quoting dave Chappelle, you know like um and um you know so in my in my opinion i think we all need to do a better job of course and there and recognize like you know our past mistakes but i mean i agree i think um crucifying an individual because what he happened to say is made public versus a huge percentage of people who if they're worst, you know, say we all have the worst 10 things we've ever said in our lives broadcasted to the internet. I think a lot of people would be quiet right now um, instead of trying to point uh, the finger. And I know not saying that, um, particular thing. I've never called a person of color that word. Um, I have definitely said things that would be considered ignorant or offensive, rude, um, thoughtless, um, and I've hurt people's feelings. I've, uh, you know, lied. Uh, you know, I, I've done, you know, I'm a human being, and I think if everyone just took a step back and, and recognized the fact that at any given point, like, we all did or said things that aren't reflective of the person that we may be today and we can look back and you then you become like what people are talking about like then you become an ally towards personal growth and things that i've done that are not you know necessarily the best things 
I can then use, and especially now that I'm older in the music scene, I get to talk to younger bands when we're on tour and I get to share my perspective. And because I've said or done some of the things that I have or seen some of the things I have, I have a clear perspective on what they are going to probably likely feel or see in the future. Only now from me sharing it, maybe they're learning that at 22, whereas I might've learned it at 25, what, you know, whatever it was. And so I just think that there is a lot more room for compassion in the world as a whole. And when it comes to reckless things being said, I think there are active hate-filled people that are actual actively right now problems for our communities, for uh, schools, um, people who are in positions of power and uh, government and education and um, what police like that should be our collective focus. Our, I don't think our energy should be wasted focusing on someone having a really, um, you know, horrible day and making a mistake. Um, obviously there are some things I think, you know, you know, you go to jail or prison, whatever you commit crimes, like that's a different story. But I think reckless words are things that some people will say or make statements that aren't, uh, indicative of the person they are, uh, reflective of their heart and soul. And I think we need to do a better job of understanding context and understanding like some people because of their privilege or their environment or other things they're going to say or do things that they need the opportunity to understand why that's not right or good and you can everyone can sit back and say well you should have done this or you should have known this we all should have you know known certain things that we've gone against in our life and that's how you learn and so i think that's that's where our energy needs to go it needs to go towards active problems that are actively hurting or harming someone else intentionally um, or just trying to be a better person and be compassionate towards people that just need to hear uh, in a compassionate way like hey like what you said I don't really think that that's appropriate and I think that this is why you know like having that conversation while it might be uncomfortable and hard is gonna do way more good then fuck you, you're blocked, deleted, gone, whatever. Like, I, I, I just don't see how big picture long term that's going to benefit society. I think that's been something and I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get to it uh, with uh, with Michael from uh, Volumes because uh, they just dropped a new single kind of talking about the, the detriment of social media and so forth. And, and actually, uh, I'll cheap plug for anyone who gives a shit about this. Uh, tomorrow at like 12.30 Eastern, I'll be talking with uh, uh, Dan from Perry uh, Tomorrow. And, you know, we're going to kind of hit on something. You know, it seems like everyone's kind of talking about what social media is doing and the world we live in is so focused around social media. And I know going as far back as like the first year doing this podcast, something I was talking to Doc Coyle about uh, in regards to the NBA you know, because there's always the debate who's better, LeBron, Michael, you know, whoever, Kobe. Yeah. And he and I yeah. kind of it's so different, though, that we can't even – it's not even necessarily, like, how the, how the game was played back in the 80s, the 90s, now, and so forth. But now throw on social media. So, yeah. right – you know, we were talking about how LeBron probably has it the worst out of the three because he has always been in the public eye, 24-hour news cycle, sports center, Twitter, all of these things. He always – since he was like 14 or 15 years old, it's been every day. I grew up in Ohio and going to his games, like I was a huge fan. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was mayhem. Like from the time he couldn't even drive a car yet, you know, like, it, and I don't care who you are, like no one, nothing prepares you for that. And so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's not about giving people a pass, I think, which is a lot of the argument. It's like, no, it's like we just need to learn from it and teach so that we can do things better in the future. And um, obviously media in general is is going to run with the more, uh, you know, drama-filled stories and negative stuff. You know, a headline about, oh, firefighter rescues puppy is like a quick 
awe moment, but then you're looking for like the juicy, you know, like things. And we perpetuate more negative things happening in the world because of that. Um, yeah. You know, we, we accent the bad things that are happening all the time, all day long. And then we wonder why, you know, people who feel like they're misfits or don't fit in, why they, why they turn to making horrible things in, all in the name of just being seen or fe feeling like people know who they are even. Right. Um, there, there are so many societal problems right now that stem from focusing on negative thoughts, negative actions. And we, um, you know, they say you make those people infamous, but infamy has become a positive thing in so many people's eyes uh, to where they would rather do something horrible. Um, sometimes, you know, people are sick and sometimes people just do it because they feel like it's the best thing that they could possibly do with their life. And, um, you know, it's like when you see, um, you know, these things come out and school shooters and things like that. What, why I think it's escalating is not because there's just so many more people that are born like with that way. It's like they're being taught hate. They're being taught that to be seen, you have to do something extreme or drastic. And if they don't feel like they're uber talented at something or they feel left out or they're told that they're never going to accomplish anything, that becomes like this weird stigma to where they're making choices where they're like, well, you said I wasn't going to amount to anything. And technically this is something. So, you know, like it, it's, it's like semantics, but like used against humanity. And it's such a weird thing. And it's crazy to me that in 2020, so many of these things are issues that we're fighting for equality in 2020. When we have, you could use social media to see how a third world country lives and just in two seconds, if you don't feel something like and want to be a part of something more positive, like it, it's just crazy. We could see how other cultures that are happier, healthier live and we could be like, oh, they do this. They live longer. They're healthier. They mentally, physically, emotionally, all these things. This is uh, a country that is raising, um, you know, statistically smarter, you know, young people and youth, people that are more empowered to change the world for the better. And then you don't do those things. And, it, and it's, you're never going to create real change if, uh, if we don't start learning from each other in different cultures. And, and to do that, you have to embrace equality. Yeah, I know it's going to cut us off in about two minutes or so. Yeah. So there's so much, there's so many things <laughs> I have been like, Talking to talking through uh, as best I can with people. Um, I don't know. I don't know that we'll ever land on an answer, but I mean, there's there's just so many interesting facets to things that you're talking about that are interesting rabbit holes just to dissect and figure out how it applies. Especially as you're older and you can remember a time before social media, before you when you remember when people actually communicated face to face, when you can remember when people weren't segregated by like I don't like real quickly. I, I was trying to figure out when did people start going, fuck you because you are a liberal or a Democrat or mm -hmm. whatever. I don't remember growing up and having people be like, well, they're Democrats. I don't like them. Like, you may go, like, I don't agree with them politically, but, like, I don't remember where it happened to where, like, that became a thing that everyone now is just like, oh, you can't, can't even with you. I mean, it is, it is social media. Social media is the reason that there is as much division in the world as there is. And, um, you know, you said they're not landing on an answer. Um, I think that there is only one answer and it is, we all take responsibility to try to not put our energy towards f fighting on the internet, fighting what can't be changed by one person per se, but rather trying to just wake up every day, be the best person you can possibly be, try to be positive, enjoy life, you know, be thankful for life and the people that are around you. And that is the best thing that you can do. Obviously, along the way, is there's things, whether it's uh, certain levels of activism, protesting, donating to charities, um, accenting and echoing voices of people who are far more eloquent and smarter than anyone we know. 
I think, you know, doing all those things are great, but, um, you know, I don't think that, uh, trying to just change the world every single day, um, on the big spectrum is necessarily the, the best goal. Cause you're going to get burnt out. And I think just waking up every day, try to be the best you can be. And that that's gotta be good enough. <laughs> well, I want to say thanks again for taking the time to chat. Um, this is a lot of, of fun. course. I feel like it's so easy talking to you about a multitude of things, which is why I, I asked you to do this. Uh, last time we did same thing, just went kind of all over and it was yeah. real easy to talk with you. And, and sometimes that's not always easy to find uh, people that you're able to just connect with and talk about a multitude of things, not been out of shape one way or another about it. Um, so I want to thank you for taking the time. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me. So uh, people probably know where to find you and where to live at this point. But uh Thanks again. Uh, stay safe, and hopefully, all of this will clear up and see you guys again at some point. Yep. Thank you, man. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>